Hello friends and educators and welcome to the first episode of Live and Learn with Susan Roberts, a new podcast from SCR Consulting. And I'm coming to you today from the closet under my stairs, which is known as SCR Headquarters. And I'm so excited that you're with me as we begin a journey of exploration into the world of education. So I love podcasts because I love the opportunity to learn from experts, to hear new things, to get new perspectives. And so that's kind of what I want to do here in my own podcast. So in Live and Learn, I'll be covering a variety of topics, including news and education and classroom and instructional tips that I like and that work for me, Um, expert interviews, tips for trainers just starting out, and who knows from there. So I'm very, very excited that you're with me. And in my closet under my stairs, it's entirely possible you'll hear my dog bark from time to time. You may even be able to hear the birds outside my window. Um, But yeah, we're just going to go with it and see where this takes us. So today I'm devoting episode one to the key shifts in uh, mathematics that are the result of the college and career readiness standards, also known as the Common Core State Standards in K-12. The CCRS are just a repackaged form of the CCSS. And the CCRS are the adult education version of the standards. Same, same stuff, just different packaging. So if you hear me use those two terms, and you will often on the podcast interchangeably, just remember, ah, same standards, different package. Because I talk a lot with adult education entities, but also K-12. So this is meant for each of you. Welcome. Welcome to all of you. All right, so... The CCSS came about, oh, roughly seven years ago now, and with the standards came some some different implications to instruction, some effects from those standards coming into existence. And um, the authors of the standards officially call these shifts in education key shifts or key advances in mathematics and key advances in ELA. We're going to devote another podcast episode to the English language arts shifts, but we're going to start with math today because in all of the work I do and all of the strategies that I use with people with standards implementation, the key shifts in math are the most challenging for everyone that I've encountered. So I've come into some understanding over the years about ways that have made more sense for me and that I'm seeing are making a big change in those that I train when I talk about the shifts in this way. So there are three, as I mentioned, three key shifts or three key advances that are the result of the mathematics standards. And the first is focus, the second is coherence, and the third is rigor. Focus, coherence, and rigor. And now let's look at each of those individually. So the idea of focus is that rather than going from a very broad, mile-wide, inch-deep approach to mathematics, the focus for individual levels of student, whether that's an NRS level in adult education or a grade level in K-12, the focus has very much narrowed and instruction is deeper. One thing that you're seeing in mathematics lessons that really employ the standards with fidelity, as I say, uh, is you're not seeing a whole bunch of standards being covered in one lesson. 
some lessons I'm seeing one lead standard, a couple of supporting standards, and that is a good thing. Focus is narrowing, allowing students more time with the things they need the most. And additionally within focus, those in charge of writing the standards and those in charge of categorizing them, especially in the adult education realm, have identified what they are calling the major work of a level or what the main focus should be in each level of instruction. So as we're in early elementary school or even level A of the standards in adult education, we see a big, big focus on the domain of numbers, number uh, understanding even, addition, subtraction, concepts mainly, not a lot of application or fluency yet. And level B, when we also get to about fourth grade, high third grade, low fourth grade, even into some fifth grade, we're still building on numbers and uh, lots of more, lots of fluency at that point with numbers and operations. But fractions enter the picture more as a concept and an understanding and a recognition at this point. Those are the main focus. Those two uh, entities, those two domains are the main focus of level B in adult education or that middle elementary school. Now you do see some geometry in there as well. Basic area, measurement, perimeter, liquid mass, time, those sorts of things, but not a whole lot at that point. Then when we get up to level C in adult education or kind of low middle school, we start some different more abstract views of numbers, positives and negatives more work with fractions and fluency and procedural skills, so working with fractions in a different way, comparing and ordering and operating with them. And decimals are added in with fractions as well, how those two uh, different ideas of math kind of relate and are different from each other as well. And we see a lot more work with shapes, a lot of classification of shapes, and understanding of data even, statistics and probability starts to enter in in middle school. Now in level D, we really get into rational numbers, even more abstract numerical uh, recognition and uh, procedural skill. And a whole, whole lot of geometry and statistics and probability start to enter in. The Pythagorean theorem, uh, a lot of, lot of right triangle operations, congruency, um, and algebra really comes to the forefront in level D. Something that didn't even exist as a focus at all in the early, early stages of education. So like uh, kindergarten, third grade, not a lot of algebra down that way. We know that's true. And finally, level E, or the high, high school grades, algebra is the name of the game. That's the main focus when you, when you get up to the high school levels. Lots of number system extensions of real numbers, uh, expressions involving radicals, rational exponents, exponential expressions, uh, and even more complex geometry, and also a lot more statistics and probability, so data sets, trends, those sorts of things start to emerge at that point. So it's really interesting um, to see how we progress from basically starting with number and operations in level A all the way up through level C with numbers still being the main focus. But then when we get into D and E, because students have had that grasp of numbers up to that point, 
then they're able to work in the more complex mathematics at those points in levels D and E, so uh, high middle school and high school as well. Now the second shift or advance that we mentioned is coherence, and that means that content unfolds meaningfully. The main thing with the standards is the standards are not necessarily a scope and sequence document. However, with we see, when we see the major work of the level start to emerge, when we can see these trends that, oh, number is most important early on, and then from there we're able to build with fractions and decimals into shape understanding and operations with uh, geometry, content unfolds meaningfully. And we see connections between concepts both within the level or grade level and across the levels. I know in my, my own hometown, the school district here went really in-depth. They received a grant um, for what was called uh, All In for Algebra. And it was uh, really meant to help mathematics teachers from K through 12 to understand coherence in their instruction. And so we're seeing in this district that teachers who have gone through lesson studies, uh, really recognizing that what they're doing in the classroom today connects meaningfully to what they did yesterday and what they're doing tomorrow and what students will be doing in the next grade and to what students did in the previous grade. Uh, and as a result, test scores have really risen here in mathematics. And so when we recognize that we're not just teaching students in a vacuum, it's not just about teaching fractions today, um, things unfold in a more meaningful way and students are able to grasp things more holistically. Now another thing I like about coherence is if I ask adult educators, what is the most uh, troublesome topic for students in your math classes? 100% of the time, the answer is the F word, fractions. 100% of the time, that's really interesting to me. So that's the first question that I ask, and I get the answer of fractions. And then I ask a follow-up question. What are they really struggling with? And the answer is, nah, they can't multiply. They can't divide. They can't do the number operations that come before the fractions. So... If you start trying to just remedy adult educators' grasp of fractions, you're not going to make it very far. You have to back up to number operations beforehand. Coherence. Make sure things connect in a meaningful way. And in that, you're going to expect knowledge of students to build and grow. You're not just going to expect them to stay stagnant, to stay in one spot. Um, you're going to want to see what they've learned before and see that they can apply it in new ways. And that leads us into rigor, the third key advance in mathematics as a result of the standards. Now, rigor itself is made up of three subtopics. And what rigor means is that typically a given lesson in mathematics is either going to focus on one of these three areas, conceptual understanding, procedural skill and fluency, or application. So there are a few exceptions to this, in particular if you're doing a review lesson, for instance, or you have a cyclical uh, circular 
rotation of the standards, you're always going to be coming back to previous content. We know that's true. That goes back to coherence, backing up, making sure students still have a grasp on what they've learned before, before moving on. Uh, but typically, students are either going to be learning a new concept or they're going to be showing procedural skill and fluency with this concept they've just learned. So after lots of practice, they're becoming more accurate. And finally, they can then begin applying this skill to a variety of problems. So it's really difficult. You're not likely to have all of those things in one lesson, especially with the focus of the, the standards now. Not going to happen. So I have found over the years, though, that people have a really hard time grasping what rigor is. And um, I know for myself, this is the way that I have thought about it in my own uh, wrestling with rigor. So again, rigor is the increased attention to making sure students know more than how to get the answer. And it's going to focus on one of those, conceptual understanding, procedural skill and fluency, or application. So to explain this, we're going to time travel back to 2001 <clears throat> when little Susie began learning to drive uh, and look out Kentucky because another teen driver was about to be on the loose. Um, now my parents have a lifelong love affair with Subaru station wagons uh, which dates back to 1987. So and actually in, those th in that 30 year span they've had three uh, Subaru station wagons. So they they pr typically will trade them in around 200 plus thousand miles and uh, they're currently on their third. So as a result of this love affair, I was fortunate enough to learn to drive a five-speed version of this fine example of Japanese craftsmanship, a 97 Outback. So as a new driver, not only did I have to ensure that I could steer the vehicle where I wanted it to go without crashing into drivers or trees, uh, but I first had to learn how to make it go. Uh, now, my dad apparently drew the short straw and had the pleasure of trying to teach me how to drive the family station wagon. So I, you know, I grew up, they, they've always had a five speed. I grew up watching them flawlessly take off at every stoplight and stop sign, never paid any attention. Um, but once I started having to do it myself, I watched carefully. And my dad showed me with his feet how you, all you got to do is ease off the clutch while you ease onto the gas. Got it, piece of cake. I can do that. But when I got in the driver's seat, I figured out that understanding and doing were two very different things. Um, and, you know, being a teenager, I was so excited. I was going to finally get behind the wheel and just, you know, cruise around. Unfortunately, it was impossible for me to actually drive that car anywhere for quite a while because I had to really grasp the concept first of how to even make it go. Um, so it took a lot of practice. I, I, I lived on a farm. I grew up on a farm. I live on a farm now. And I spent a lot of time on my farm lane by myself in the five-speed and drove up and down, up and down, taking off, stopping, taking off, shifting a couple of gears and stopping. Then I ended up in the back end of my small town where there are a lot of stop signs but not a lot of cars. And I would take off and make it to second or third gear and stop over and over again. So in addition to becoming more fluent at operating the vehicle, 
I was then most importantly less concerned that I was going to be purchasing a new clutch for the family car like I had been told would be happening if I didn't get it together. So I became much more fluent in its operation and I had the skills required to take the baby for a drive. So bring on that license test, right? I was completely ready. I was fluent after much, much practice. So after a while of taking off and shifting with ease, that wasn't a problem anymore. I wasn't killing the car at every red light. But then I had to start applying my skills in different ways. I had to learn how to take off on a hill while rolling backwards. Terrifying, terrifying. I figured out that all I had to do was, you know, work the handbrake a little bit. And then once I caught with the handbrake, I could then do my thing with my feet and take off, not a problem. But what I really learned from that is to avoid hills at all costs. Uh, But I was applying my takeoff and my driving skills in different ways, and I knew uh, how to pass the, the driver's test. So my conceptual understanding and my procedural skill and fluency were enough for me to pass the test in a 35 mile an hour zone on a sunny day. But uh, I was fortunate as a teenager, I didn't have any accidents, but many teens, as we know, do. Uh, They're the most dangerous people on the road still, statistically. Um, Because when you throw in a little ice or a deer or a fellow driver on your side of the road, application becomes very important to ensuring safe destination arrival. And teens don't have the application skills yet, many, most, uh, much of the time, in order to operate their vehicle in different scenarios. Um, they don't know more than how to drive, if you want to make that analogy with math. So this was a process. I mean, there's a reason that students, gosh, in, in some states, you actually in Kentucky, I know, last time I checked, you now have a permit for a year before you can drive alone. And I think beyond that, there are even constraints on who can be in the car with you. Like you can't have a passenger under 21 for a year because that application is still really shaky. So this was a a long, long process. So similarly in our classrooms, it's not realistic to expect students to learn a new concept, become fluent at it and apply it in a million scenarios in a single sitting, or sometimes even a few sittings. Rigor means that time and attention are given to these three elements in a way that students can master each step before moving on. You know what's interesting, though? I haven't owned a five-speed for 15 years. My Jeep Wrangler, uh, I had to sell that in 2003. But just last month, I had to move somebody's truck that was a five-speed, and I took off flawlessly the first time because I had taken the time to learn the concept, to become fluent in it, and apply it in a lot of situations. I, in my, to toot my own horn, I even took off on a hill having to move this truck. So what I learned, because I took the time to learn it in the right way, incrementally, with attention given where it was due, those skills stuck, even 15 years later. Kind of like a bicycle as well. Kind of like learning to ride a bike. There's a lot to it at first. It takes a lot of practice, but once you get it, you've got it and you can move on. So the math standards are really changing the way classrooms are run in our country in regard to the focus, coherence, 
and rigor of our mathematics instruction. And for that, we should be very grateful. We know that we lag behind the rest of the world tremendously in mathematics. In fact, 60% uh, of adults, I just saw a survey result last week, 60% of adults in our country cannot do basic math. I'm going to say that again, 60% of adults in our country cannot do basic math. So, you know, this focus that we have on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics is great, but without the standards and without the focus on, huh, the focus on focus, coherence, and rigor, we're not going to find much change in our classrooms. But thanks to the demands called out to us by the standards, we're going to see a big difference. I think we already are seeing a big difference when the standards are implemented uh, with fidelity. So friends, that wraps up episode one of Live and Learn. I hope you learned something exciting today that you can pass along, even if you're not a math teacher. This is really good news to me that uh, things are changing for us. So regardless of who you are and where you are and where you fit in the world of education, there's something good in there for all of us, I think. So stay tuned for future episodes. I have something pretty cool cooking up for episode two, so I hope you'll tune back in with me. And in the meantime, stay curious.